Hello and welcome to Raise the Room podcast. I'm your host, Danica. Here at Raise the Room, we are trying to consciously raise our kids, re-raise ourselves, and by doing so, raise the vibe of any room we walk into simply with our authenticity. Now let's get to it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Raise the Room. I am Danica, your host, and today we are going to be talking to my friend Autumn from The Nest Counseling. She's going to be giving us some free advice, some free 99 relationship advice, and her gifts in this profession really shine through here. Autumn and I met in university at a house party. We talk about that a little bit at the end of the episode through our mutual girlfriend, Hannah. And Autumn just always was and still is a very wise soul. She also enlightens us today with how to maintain a healthy relationship. She talks about love meetings. She talks about what our fights are really about. This episode is really just, it's juicy for those of us that are in relationship. And even just in relationship with anybody. does not have to be your romantic partner, honestly, with anybody. These are just good basic um, strategies and facts. If you are here from Autumn's camp, I do want like to just put out a little disclaimer. The first 10 minutes are basically just me talking about her human design. <laughs> and, and it's not a lot of Autumn. So if you're here strictly for Autumn, you know, feel free to skip ahead. Although I think all of that stuff we talked about is interesting and gives you a really good idea of her inner workings. But I just want to say, um, if you're starting to listen and you're getting annoyed, like she does, she does shine through after about the 10 minute mark, we, we get into it. So I just wanted to put that out there. Finally, Autumn really wants everybody to know that the advice she's giving today, as I had people write in, is not a substitute for therapy. It is professional, general education. Obviously, when she's in session with people, there are layers and nuances and strategies that would be different when she fully knows the couple as opposed to an anonymous question being submitted. So let's just put that out there right from the get-go. Autumn is excited to be offering a new program for couples in the early years of parenthood that helps with better communication, enhance intimacy, and feel on the same team, especially in parenthood. This will be launching later this summer, 2023, and it is a small group virtual program. So make sure you go to her website. I've got it in the show notes nestcounseling.ca and or just follow her on Instagram. She has amazing content on how to be a better partner, how to communicate well in your relationship, on the trials and tribulations of being in partnership in early parenthood. Her content is really invaluable, especially if you are somebody that is curious and self-aware and interested in showing up the best for the people that you love. All right, and a small piece of housekeeping. It is June, and in Danica's world in June, I go insane. (laughs) It's the end of the year as a teacher. Um, It's my son's birthday. It seems like it's every other kid that was born in 2016's birthday. Like, I went to three last weekend, two this past weekend. We've got two this coming up weekend. It's the amount of things that are swirling around in my brain right now are crazy. So, 
I'm not sure that I will be able to consistently get out a podcast over the next couple of weeks. I will definitely keep you posted on Instagram and through my email list. You should also sign up for my email list. You get a freebie on how human design can help your parenting. It's a PDF I created. But I just wanted to be transparent that I don't want to release episodes just to release episodes so that I'm being, you know, regular or consistent. As much as I would love that and I strive for that, I also don't want to add additional stress to my life right now when it's quite literally the busiest time of year for me. So if that means taking a little break for integrity's sake, that's what I'm going to do. Okay, here's a quick ad, then we will get into our episode with the lovely Autumn. Please excuse me while I interrupt myself to talk to you about ways that you can work with me, Danica. You can sign up for a human design session with me where we go over your chart in depth, either a level one or a level two reading for those of you that have a little bit of base knowledge already. You can also sign up for a reading to get your own chart and your child's chart read or really any secondary chart if you'd rather it be your partner. All of these sessions are in-depth overviews of your human design for those of you that want to go deep in understanding your design. For those of you that just want to dip your toe in the water, especially in regards to understanding your children, I have human design parenting courses. These courses are tools to put in your toolkit to try and understand the little humans that you are raising in regards to their type in human design. These courses are broken down into four easily digestible segments, totaling about 30 to 40 minutes each. You can stop and start when you like, and we'll walk away with practical strategies for how to work with your child's design instead of against them. I've put a lot of love into these videos, both in my understanding of human design, but also my understanding of children from being an elementary school teacher and a mother going through the thick of it just like you. When you purchase these courses, you're then also given access to what's called the remainder reading where I go over the main elements of your child's chart, which then equates to having a full level one reading done of them. This reading is only available if you've already bought the Human Design Parenting course. It's very exclusive. Even though my website is currently under construction, this is still where you will be able to book a reading and find the courses, danicamarie.com. That's Danica with a C or in my Instagram bio link tree at raise.the.room on Instagram. All right, enough of me. Let's get back to the episode, which I guess is more me. All right, I am here with my friend Autumn, who I just told you about. We were actually just talking about the term that she prefers or that is most widely understood because I went, what are you? Are you a counselor? Are you a therapist? What are you? And she actually educated me that apparently the most broadly understood term is psychotherapist. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm absolutely a counselor and a therapist. You Mm -hmm. can use any of the words. Okay. I like that. See, psychotherapist sounds almost the most intense to me. Mm. I would have, I would have shied away from that, but that's really interesting that the, across the nation, that's the one that we sort of all get. Mm-hmm. That's what I found anyway. Okay. Bureaucracy. Got it. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to take a moment to explain to our listeners um, your human design, as I always do. And you were somebody that surprised me when we had a session together. I was surprised to find out that you were a manifesting generator. Um 
just because being in the counselor role, it's very like projector vibes. (laughs) So I thought maybe you would be. But the more we delved into your life and your chart, it makes so much sense. So mm-hmm. Autumn is an emotional or a 5-1 emotional manifesting generator. So the manifesting generators of this world are our most dynamic. They actually have the biggest battery of all of the types. And they're here to basically pour into a bunch of different passions. And they're kind of the people that are like, carving a new way. They pull together all of the things that they like to create something new. Practically what this looks like in their life is having a bunch of different interests or trying out a bunch of different new things or being somebody that sort of can change their mind or change their path a lot. And when we were talking in our session, you were sort of like, okay, but I'm not super energetic. Like I am very calm and focused and I like went to school, got my degree. Like I didn't change my mind a lot. And It was a really good session for me because after I was leaving, I left and thought, yeah, there's something else here. And I noticed with you and then a chiropractor manifesting generator, a Reiki practitioner manifesting generator, like a couple of people that are sort of in the healing industry. Actually, I had about five examples where they had this very centered, it wasn't super high energy um, presence, but it was that all of them had extremely full lives and were able Mm -hmm. to handle a lot, Mm -hmm. whether it's interest wise or how literally how busy their day was or yeah, just their capacity to hold a lot. And when I brought that up to you at the end, I think we kind of landed on that at the end of our session, you were like, yes, that Mm -hmm. makes sense to me. Yeah, totally resonates. (laughs) Because you actually even said you like, yeah, I like like concerts and I'm into this and I'm into that. Mm-hmm. And you've got two young boys and you're married mm-hmm. and you've got your like, you know, business where you work full time. So there's a lot going on over there. Yeah. I would say my hands are not empty. <laughs> <laughs> and not that you don't get overwhelmed, but it's very much um, manifesting generator vibes to have like a lot of balls in the air. Mm-hmm. I think I'd be bored if I didn't. Yes. And that, yeah, that's, that sounds right to me. And so then the other part of your chart that we spoke about, um, aside from being a manifesting generator is being an emotional manifesting generator, which essentially when you are somebody that has the word emotional in front of your design, what this means is, is you live your life with moods that you wake up with that have nothing to do with what's actually going on in your day. So mm-hmm. it could be, you know, the best day of your life, but you could just be waking up in like a two out of 10 blue mood for no reason. And then some mm-hmm. days you're in the high and then there's days where you're in the sort of neutral of your mood and explaining this to somebody that is emotional in human design. They're like, yeah, that makes sense. Like they always, I find that's always the piece of our session that goes like, yes, that is something that I've dealt with my whole life, yeah. being sort of on a wave of feelings that are outside of my control, essentially. Can yeah. you speak to that a little bit? That felt right to you? Yeah. Like I just feel how I feel. And I have a lot of, um, I think we talked about this, like when I'm seeking clarity or decisions in my life and like kind of looking to feel a certain way Mm -hmm. and that's, and, but I don't necessarily feel like 
I have any control over that. Like I'll just know it when it happens. Like there's just sort of this, like, like I've turned myself over to the universe and the universe is just going to tell me how I feel about everything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I think we also kind of took a peek at your husband's chart too, because you, when you're an emotional person, you're actually meant to take time with your decisions because it's hard for you to understand how you feel about something, unless you've sort of waited it out, you have mm-hmm. to wait to get clarity. Mm-hmm. Whereas your husband had the opposite setup in his chart where he knows in the now and you were like, oh my God, that is our everyday argument. Like, why don't you know? And how do you already know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this expectation from him like that I need to figure it out and how mm-hmm. do I not just have the answer right away? Yes. Um, yeah. And I think I can also come across as somebody who knows maybe people who don't know me that well. <laughs> no one who knows me would say this, but <laughs> um, yeah, that I come across as someone that like would would know or would yeah. have a direction or something. And um, yeah, people who know me know I'm extremely indecisive or it takes me a very long time to make a decision. Mm-hmm. That actually leads beautifully into the next part of your chart, your profile. You're a mm-hmm. five one. And what you just talked about was your fifth line where you feel like people probably think you've got the answer. Mm-hmm. And when you are somebody that is a fifth line in human design, you present as the one that has it all together. You're the person that people go to for help. You're the one that has this innate competence about you. So if you have a fifth line, there is something that you bring to the table that people trust. Mm -hmm. And it's just part of your nature and it's part of your gifts. It's like you are somebody that is really competent and kind of able to handle things. And then pair that with the first line, which is, um, so the one side of the five one somebody who likes to gather knowledge and gather information because you get security from having a healthy foundation for whatever it is that you are looking into, interested in doing. Like for you in your life, it would be like you like to gather knowledge for obviously your work, but also your parents. So for parenting, you're married for like how to have a healthy marriage. Um, If you're into you know, eating healthy, it'd be like gathering all the information to how to eat well. Like these are our classic Google junkies, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and actually, I thought it was so interesting because online, um, Jenna Zoe, who's a very well-known human design reader, she has kind of come up with her own names for each of these profiles. And the five one in her terms is called the challenge solver. Oh, And I'm like, you're a therapist. Like, that makes <laughs> so much sense. Like, I love yes, it. Sign me up for a session with Autumn. She's a challenge solver. <laughs> I thought that was oh, so like good. That. That's not the official human design name. The other one's called the heretic investigator, which is also really interesting because heretic meaning like somebody who kind of goes against the norm and then mm. investigator because you like to like find knowledge in order to have a firm or solid sort of foundation to stand on. Mm-hmm. So both of those things really just lead you to be somebody that people want to trust. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, all of those things lead to you being really embodied in your design. Because I think, I know when we had our session together, you talked about how you knew you needed more time 
to understand and to make decisions. And yet there was sort of a guilt there for having to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think the beauty about human design is just like hearing about that about yourself and then going, okay, so I don't have to feel bad about this. This is part of my design. Like I do need the time. Yeah. It's this beautiful permission. Yeah. When we talk about like also being emotional in human design, it's a permission slip to not be, not feel guilt about your moods, about the Mm -hmm. fact that you do sort of have to just roll with the punches when it comes to like being up some days and down some days. Yeah. All right. I'm curious after all your human design stuff, do you want to tell everybody how, what got you to get into opening a practice? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, I did my graduate program in counseling in 2013, graduated in 2015. Um, and after that I was working in as an associate in other practices and for the health authority and, you know, had my hand in 20 different hats because that's (laughs) my little manifesting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I always knew that I would one day have my own practice and Mm. I've always wanted it to focus on relationships. Mm -hmm. Like, the reason I went into counseling was to be a relationship therapist. And so, um, when I was at home on maternity leave with my first babe, mm-hmm. COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm in lockdown and I'm a new mom and my relationship is yeah. stressing yeah. because of all of the things. And we're all I... getting fat, you know, like... <laughs> I mean, I was just still, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know that I got, yeah. um, and then because I'm also a one, mm-hmm. I'm doing all of this research, trying to figure out how to support a relationship in the transition to parenthood. And I'm finding almost no information. I've read mm-hmm. any books that are available. I've looked into any, programs in my area. I'm like, there must be, you know, you know, I did a birth class. I did this class. There must be something. There's nothing, nothing, nothing. And I was like, this is it. This is the gap I'm going to fill. And I think just like the timing of my life gave space at that point, or it felt like I had space because I was at home and off work to start Mm -hmm. dreaming up this practice. And I launched it before my kid was one. And yeah, I've just loved it ever since. It feels like the best thing I've ever done. That's so cool. And did you, when you were in university, did you know you were going to go into counseling or yeah. because, you know, a lot of people have a psychology degree. Mm-hmm. We all go and take psych 101 or whatever yeah. it is, right? <laughs> yeah, I um, am one of those strange people who knew that they wanted to be a therapist like I think I was 15 when I found mm-hmm. out what a therapist was mm-hmm. and I thought, oh my gosh, someone will pay you money to talk mm-hmm. and listen to people's stories. Like yeah. sign me up. Yeah. And then I applied to psych programs. Like I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I I probably during my undergrad might've wavered a little bit, like, do I want to do this? But mm-hmm. once I got my first taste of counseling, I knew and I haven't, Yeah. Just haven't looked back. Yeah. Did you grow up in a house where counseling and therapy was like normal, spoken about? Yeah. Yeah. My dad was actually um, an addictions counselor. Oh, wow. I was really young. It's heavy stuff. Yeah. And my mom worked with young kids who had um, like behavioral sensory issues. So mm. I think they were in the helping field, the helping profession. And yeah. 
um, yeah, it was totally normal and talked about. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I grew up in a house where counseling was definitely something like if you were having a hard time, like that was a totally normal response was to go have a few sessions or it wasn't something that was a regular thing, but Mm -hmm. very open in my house. And I kind of just thought it was a normal thing. And I remember not relating, like watching a show one time, there was a TV show and there was, you know, some person that was a character needed to, was got suggested to go to counseling, but they wouldn't. And I, I literally didn't understand it. Like I was like, wait, what's wrong? (laughs) (laughs) You need help. Here's the solution. (laughs) Yes. But there is, you know, there I think was, and it's less so now, but such a stigma for some people about needing to go get help in that way. And it's wild because I don't think that that's, it's not as common anymore. I would, I mean, I don't think it's as common anymore, mm-hmm. but it definitely still exists. And yeah. I think a big part of that is, is whatever <clears throat> messages you received when you were young, whether that was from your family of origin or your, um, like your immediate community culture, other significant adults in your life. Yeah. Yeah. If people are telling you that there's something shameful, there's something wrong with you. If you go to counseling, then you're probably not going to feel comfortable going later yeah. on in life. No kidding. Actually, even I noticed this with um, my students, my students that are from other countries, like mm-hmm. because I work with a caseload of students that have immigrated to Canada in the school mm-hmm. district. And even just the way that they'll respond about things that have just recently happened, like I'll witness them go through something difficult at school, culturally, how um, what is considered normal and as far as like sharing an experience is really, really interesting. Hmm. Like something that was hard, but like must be shared with a smile on your face, you know? Yes. Or um, complete denial. (laughs) Or I mean, some (laughs) of it is is like teenagers. I'm working with teenagers, but that has been a learning curve for me because even though these kids and I have a good relationship and a close one, I would say, as far as teacher-student goes, because – we have sort of a unique um, outside of the classroom sort of setup. Mm-hmm. They still, um, certain cultures are not okay with admitting that things are not okay, even though I literally just witnessed it, you know? Like, yeah. You'd think I would be the person that they would be like, yeah, that was rough. What happened there, Mrs. Wood? You know, that they won't even go there. Totally. It it The messages we grew up with when we're young are going to have such a huge impact with how comfortable we are expressing vulnerability that we've yeah. had challenges that anything is wrong ever. Yes. <laughs> At any point in time. Yeah. Which oh as we know is every, everybody has hard times. Yeah. So it's just the human condition. Yes. Yeah. Life is hard. That is that. Actually, when you were talking about wanting to fill the gap for trying to help um, the transition to parenthood, did you ever read the book called baby proofing your marriage? Did you ever hear about that? No, I know. Who okay. wrote that? So I don't know. <laughs> okay. What I do know is that I ended up getting the audio book of it. This was like one year after um, we had our first born and I suffered through some pretty terrible, um, like, what are the words? Like the people speaking, oh my God, what are they called? The voice people who are reading the audio books authors is it it's not the author though but it's like the people reading and that it was the most like grading voice I had Um, ever heard I'm (laughs) so curious I know but (laughs) it did 
it helped me and I don't think it's a very like well-received book but I will say what I took from it was a sense of okay a lot of married couples are going through these things you know like I think I just took away from it I didn't feel so alone in the difficulties that come to you know in that postpartum period where it's like oh wow yeah a lot of women feel really bitter or resentful that so much of it's on their so much more of it's on their plate or yeah all of a sudden we're disagreeing on things that we didn't disagree on before like I don't think that book is one that I would recommend but in that time in my life it really helped me to not feel like my relationship was a failure because totally it's like normalized it yes thank you that's the word it was like oh (laughs) That's what a lot of people go through after having a child. Yes. And I would say that's a huge part of my mission is to Mm. just not just normalize therapy and normalize relationship therapy, but normalize the challenges that your relationship may face, not will face, but like research shows us 67% of couples are going to experience dissatisfaction or a decrease in their satisfaction Mm. in their marriage after having a baby. So it's a big chunk of people. So if we can just normalize it, like this can happen, you know, there's, it doesn't mean that it's going to feel like this forever. And there's things that you can do Mm -hmm. to support a healthy relationship during a challenging time. Mm. Like help me get that word out there. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I love that. Would you mind sharing a few of the things that you would recommend to people for specifically that period of time in their lives where they've just become new parents and they want to I guess, proactively keep the connection strong? Yeah, so many things. I actually have a resource if people want um, to download it and Mm. you can just find that on my webpage. But um, a few quick ones is like figure out ahead of time all of the things that you think that you need to get done while you have a little one and running a house, mm-hmm. like write down all the things, dishes, laundry, meal prep, grocery store, changing diapers, blah, blah, blah. And then write down who you think is going to do what, and then compare mm-hmm. <laughs> and have a conversation about like, how realistic is it for this? Like, what if this happened? What if baby's up all night and, mm-hmm. um, and maybe the parent that was up with the baby needs to catch a little bit more rest the next day? Like, How are we going to, what are the expectations we have going into parenthood? What are our greatest fears? What are our greatest hopes? What can we do to feel connected? What can we do to fill our individual cups? So a lot of those conversations you can actually have ahead of time, but if you're in the stage of early parenthood and you're thinking, well, I never had those conversations and I'm in it and resentment is brewing, you can have those conversations now. This is what I thought parenthood was going to be like. And I'm noticing that it is not the vision that I had. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Is it the vision you had, you know, and yeah. just having that open dialogue to co-create a reality together and support each other to, um, to support each other's well-beings, mm-hmm. but by supporting each other's well-being, you're also going to support the relationship. Yeah. And it's so important to, to like have those conversations, not in the heat of the moment, (laughs) proactively have the conversation. Yes. So I talk a lot about something called a love meeting, Mm. which it's, it's not like an idea that I created, but I've 
coined this love meeting idea and it's essentially like a, like a team meeting. Yeah. Like if you were anywhere where you've ever had a team meeting, exactly the same thing, Mm. but picking a time ahead of time and creating an agenda with your partner so that it's kind of this neutral space. You're not blindsiding anybody with a topic. It's like, Hey, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about our budget or Mm -hmm. we're going to sit down and we're going to talk a little bit about sex and a little bit about conflict. And Hey, we also need to book hotels for our summer vacation. You've got like three different topics and you're just gonna like in that way that it's not the heat of the moment. It's not, you know, you're pissed because you haven't had sex and X number of whatever. And, and now you're spewing about it. It's like, we're going to have this conversation. I, something I want to bring up. And just so you have a heads up, it's going to be on the agenda. Right. Oh, I love that. That's such a great idea. And actually I think probably a lot of us do that, you know, unknowingly, it's just like, oh my Mm. gosh, after the kids, I, for us, it's a, okay, once the kids are down, I need to talk to you about the school field trip. The other thing it's like, and don't let me forget it. Because we're both zombies once the kids go down, but it's yeah. like there still has to be some things ticked off the list. So that makes a lot of sense. Exactly. See, you're already doing it. Actually, and in Baby Proofing Their Marriage, they talked about the list, about writing down, splitting every single thing that it um, uh. takes to run a household. Like, And they're like, we're talking everything. Like when the masking tape runs out, whose responsibility is to <laughs> buy that? Like who's the one who, who um, buys all the gifts for everybody? Like everything you know just all these weird little menial jobs that being in a relationship and running a household you know that come up it's like there's Mm -hmm. a lot yeah absolutely (laughs) okay well I think maybe what we'll do now even though I could probably talk to you about all the actually first let's talk about what it is that you offer because you offer yeah I want to make sure that people have a thorough understanding of what it is that they can go to you for Yes. Great Mm -hmm. idea. So, um, so I am a individual and couples therapist. So I'm Mm -hmm. supporting, uh, people primarily like my specialty is relationships. So if somebody is coming to see me as an individual without their partner, or they don't have a partner, maybe that looks like having conversations about past relationships they've had, patterns that they're noticing in themselves, barriers that they're finding to being in a committed relationship, or maybe it has nothing to do with romantic relationships. And instead we're focusing on the patterns that they're noticing in their friendships or their family of origin with siblings, with their parents, with their own children in the workplace. And really that's boiling down to like boundaries, communication, Mm -hmm. conflict style, um, things of that nature. And then in couples therapy, it's all of that, <laughs> plus maybe um, sex and intimacy, maybe mm-hmm. parenting s- struggles and challenges. When I'm working with couples who are in the early years of parenthood or transitioning into parenthood, pre- preparing for parenthood, we're talking a lot about um, individual identities, identity yeah. as a couple, how to remain connected, how to manage conflict with little ones running around, mm-hmm. all those things. So the offerings that I provide are therapy. And I'm actually very close to being able to launch a program that I've developed for couples in the early years of parenthood, where um, maybe if you're wanting a little bit more of some self-study, you don't want to just sign up for months of couples therapy. Um, there'll be an additional offering for people coming soon. So if people want to 
come hang out with me on Instagram or my email list, they will be the first to hear. Cool. That's exciting. Good for you. So excited. Very cool. Um, One thing I tell people, because one thing projectors do is like give unsolicited advice all the time. (laughs) Well, actually, if you're an aligned projector, then you're not doing that. But um, (laughs) when I'm talking to people who are about to have kids or who just had a baby, like one of the things I always say is read the books on how to help your toddler, like Mm. with, before you have a toddler, you know, because I think there's a lot of focus or I felt at least there's a ton of focus on like reading books about babies, about birth, about that phase. And for me, that phase was a nightmare, but it's like, okay, I'm not sleeping. You know, the nursing is hard. Like it was hard and I struggled big time, but it's short. <laughs> then all of a sudden you're dealing with, uh, like a little human that's losing it in front of you multiple times daily. Mm-hmm. And if you have any sort of conflict in your relationship with your partner, it's going to come out when you're trying yeah. to handle another human who's not handling themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot to be said for having some sort of discussions or preparation beforehand. I don't think that we can know everything before we're faced with a toddler or a young human, but I wish that we had kind of sat down and been like, what do you think about um, spanking? What's your view on punishments? What's your view on public meltdowns? Like, because Mm -hmm. those are all things that come up, you know? And it's like, I was like, no, like a spanking is a hard no for me, you know? And there's so many moments that are just like really rife with emotion that come up mm-hmm. once you're dealing with a human that has their own will. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. This is solid mm-hmm. unsolicited advice that you're handing Woo! out. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and I think also, I just really want to highlight a piece you said there because you're suggesting that people should read a book about toddlers. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Mm-hmm. But then you also noted that you and your partner might have different ideas Mm. about that. So it's one thing for us as maybe an individual entering parenthood to feel like we've read all the books and done all the things. But then all of a sudden, if you're with somebody else and your partner hasn't read all the books and isn't clear on what they want, or maybe they also have, but they've got a totally different idea and you haven't communicated it. Yes. Those are going to be some sticky moments. The first time your toddler does have a meltdown in public or you're, you're figuring out how to navigate punishment, consequences, no consequences, Mm -hmm. discipline of sorts. And you're having that conversation in the moment in front of your melting down toddler. Like that's you're fighting an intense time. (laughs) Yes. All of a sudden the fights turned between you and your husband and you're like, Oh, whoops. (laughs) There's a kiddo here. Yeah. I don't know. I I think that the baby phase can be really hard or is really hard too, but it does, it goes by quickly. And then the rest of parenthood is parenting behavioral Mm -hmm. moments. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And also, just to give grace to mm-hmm. all new parents out there, I don't know that you can know any of this until no. you're in it. Like, oh, if gosh. somebody had told me to read a book about parenting a toddler before I'd ever even given birth, I would have no. been like, God, no. I mean, sure, I'll put it on my to do list, but like, yeah. I don't have time for that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. I mean, and I'm saying this because I'm somebody who definitely did not do that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, 100% didn't. I also had the, um, 
the ego of being a teacher. So thinking that I like knew, you know, mm-hmm. what the hell mm-hmm. I was doing and then just obviously did not. So, yeah, well, I think it's really <laughs> different when it's your own kids. Oh, and it's day in and day out. Yeah, it's relentless. There's no break. No. So, yeah, you you do become a different human. And it's like how I teach in September versus how I teach in June. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> By the end of it, I'm like, okay, I've had enough of you. Like, let's move on, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. basically. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, we had some roomies, listeners, write in some really solid questions for you. And so we get to kind of peek into your world a little bit and see your genius. And I'm really excited to hear your answers um, for these questions. So Autumn, what would you like? I sent you the questions ahead of time. Would you like to read them? Would you like me to read them? And then you answer what what's more comfortable for you? Um, I would like you to read them. Okay. Sounds good. So I had sent out an email to people that they could write in asking questions, and I put a link on my Instagram. And this is what we got. Question number one, what to do when you feel like you're having the same argument over and over with your partner? There's no change, just repeating. This then leads you down the road to avoidance and irritation. This is probably the golden question in couples therapy. (laughs) Like this is, this is why someone comes into my office. Yeah. Um, is, you know, we're having the same fight over and over again. It's Mm. a a tale as old as time. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I would say is if you're having the same fight over and over again, one thing is almost certain is that the thing that you're fighting about is not the thing that you're fighting about. Mm. So let's say, you're fighting. I always use this example because it's what we fight um, <laughs> that your your partner mm-hmm. um, is always putting their dishes on the counter on top of like where the dishwasher is instead of in the empty dishwasher. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're annoyed and it's been a long day and you're frustrated and you're now arguing about why can't they just put the dishes in there? Right. So sure. We could go into a lot of really specific tactics about communication skills and how to deliver that information appropriately, yada, 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 but it's actually not about the dishes. It's really Mm -hmm. truly not about the dishes. It is almost certainly about a much deeper need that is not going, it's not being met Mm -hmm. or a fear that is present. Mm -hmm. So for example, in that scenario, it might be that I have a need um, to be appreciated or be respected, to be valued. And I'm feeling like the fact that the dishes aren't being put away when I know I've asked for it to be done a hundred times means that I'm being disrespected. I'm not being valued as a partner. I'm not being appreciated by the fact that I'm the one that's putting the dishes away every night before bed and not even getting a thank you for it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's triggering this deeper need that is going unmet or maybe this fear that I truly am unappreciated in this relationship Mm -hmm. and I am unvalued and maybe my partner is taking me for granted and our relationship is at risk or being threatened in the sense of like, is it going to dissolve? Am I going to lose this relationship that I value so greatly? So 
whatever it is you're arguing about. And like, I know we're going deep real fast. But <laughs> yeah. This is, it's be, it's because something is being triggered likely in different scenarios mm. and you're entering into a very similar patterned dance because it's likely that when that gets triggered in you, the way that you respond, maybe with criticism, maybe with defensiveness, maybe with shutting down, that triggers something else very deep in your partner. Mm. And now they're going to respond with something else. Interesting. So your advice would be to make sure that you are getting to the core need and that you're discussing that. And then together you can make strategies moving forward. Yeah. So one way that you could begin to do this is just to simply ask yourself, Mm -hmm. what is my need Mm -hmm. here? Do I need to feel heard? Do I need to feel important? Do I need to feel like I belong? These are some common human attachment needs. Of course. Um, And then you could inquire with your partner. What's a need that you're having? Right. What's a need that's not being met for you? What comes up for you when I get upset about the dishes on the counter? Mm -hmm. I'm feeling undervalued. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling, you know, X. What comes up for you when I say that? I love that. And, and just start to get curious with each other about like, okay, I'm noticing we're having the same fight over and over again. Obviously we don't want to have like a 10 out of 10 argument every day about the dishes. Mm -hmm. What's really going on? Mm -hmm. Let's have a conversation about it, you know, outside of the heat of the moment. I like, I really like that. I think the, then asking their, your partner to like, what, what is it that's coming up for you is a, a piece that I think probably doesn't get played out enough. Mm. for people yeah takes two Mm. always yes interesting thank you very much all right let's do question number two advice on how to cope with imposter syndrome as a mom i struggle with feeling like i am not deserving of unconditional love from my kids i constantly fall short on my own expectations and theirs i am not the mom i imagined or want to be and where i won't ever be good enough for them Mm -hmm. I want to hug this person (laughs) the same way I know there's a few different pieces I want to address in this Mm -hmm. question I might have to get you to reread it to me Mm -hmm. at some point but first of all the imposter syndrome piece I mean I think this is something that's really human for a lot of us to feel like I mean the five in me (laughs) yeah that right yeah yeah. (laughs) like right like we're we're um, wearing a mask and people maybe think that we're greater than we are. Right. Um, or we don't feel like we're as good as we need to be to be good at something. So I want to validate that that is a human experience. And then also acknowledge that whenever we do anything in this life, like whether it's a job or a sport or a relationship, we always start as a novice. Mm-hmm. Nobody is expecting you to be an expert parent the first day that you're a parent. Um, and I I wonder if that has ever been said to this person. And if it has, where is this message coming from that they're supposed to be an expert right away or perfect, right? Like I might get curious about some perfectionistic tendencies that might be popping up for this person. Is that self-imposed? that idea or is that coming from somewhere else maybe family maybe 
messages from society, et cetera. Um, okay. So that's the imposter piece. And then I think the other piece they said was feeling like they didn't deserve the yeah, love the, of their children. Yeah. Boy. I know. Um, like, first of all, your children deserve for you to feel like you're accepting their love. Mm-hmm. That's important. And now that I've said that, I want to give your because I know that this person is a person that is um, going to be really hard on themselves. Like it's okay that you haven't been doing that. Mm -hmm. And also there might be some work there for you to do around self-worth so that you can model for your children, what it's like to, um, to receive love. Mm -hmm. Like that is, that's a skill that we want people to know how to do. And it's not an easy one for everyone. So there, I would say there's probably something there around self-worth. And when we're dealing with self-worth, we're really looking at perfectionism again, like this idea of being worthy, deep beliefs. So coming Mm -hmm. back to those needs and fears and working with a lot of self-compassion with the person. Yeah. It made me sad. I hope that this person can get curious with themselves because um, you're definitely deserving of the love that your children give you. Absolutely. And yeah, just focusing on like, like, are there any models of, you know, assuming this person is, is a female as a mother, Mm -hmm. are there any models of mothers that, um, you look up to identify who those people are Mm -hmm. and then get curious about, are those people perfect? Mm Mm-hmm. And if they're not, in what ways do you see them still succeeding as a parent without being perfect? Mm -hmm. You know, what something I notice in a lot of people I work with on this topic is that often their closest people or the people they admire most are often people who are able to be really authentic and vulnerable with their struggles. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that that's a great um, human connector is Mm -hmm. when people share their struggles. Mm -hmm. However a lot of people, even though they're drawn to that, don't believe that they themselves can be imperfect or share that same level of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just turning yourself towards, okay, this is, this is something I am drawn to. And these are positives that I want to emulate in my own life. Mm -hmm. And how can I maybe incorporate a little bit more of that philosophy into my day to day? Yeah. I love that. I think, do you know what I was thinking of is when you said um, something that people admire is like authenticity and vulnerability, something I have always admired in other people that I myself need to do more and be more and I want to embody more is I love people who are authentic in the way that you can tell that they are not caring about other people's reactions to them. So Mm. I'm so attracted to somebody who's just confident enough to own a strong opinion or a different Mm. way of being or just like a an unapologetic way of being themselves and you can tell that there's or you feel from the outside that there's no mental loop going on in their head about whether it's right or wrong or how people are receiving you 
Gosh, what a what a great thing to admire, and I totally mm. agree. Yeah, it's, it's very admirable. Yeah, to yourself like that. <laughs> yes, exactly. If you know, if you know anyone like that who has any secrets, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll point them in your way. Yeah, yeah, so good. Well, thank you. I'm loving all the things you're sharing so far. So, okay, number three, um, tips for disagreement on whether or not to have more children. I know I didn't um, we we didn't bring the light stuff today okay yeah <laughs> people came they were like oh oh there's a counselor coming yeah. I've got some questions Free yeah. advice. let's go <laughs> okay so first of all there is no right answer to this mm-hmm. question which is what makes it so tricky yeah. and what makes any big kind of lifestyle decision within a partnership difficult when you have differing opinions because there isn't a right or a wrong. Like if we should live in a city versus rural life, if we should, um, you know, have one kid or no kids or five kids or there's not a right way to live. It's what way do you want to live? So what I pose to people who are kind of at forks in the road with their life and they're making a decision as a team is again, getting clear with yourself. What is the quality of life that you are seeking Okay. And then if you were to get what you want individually, what feeling would you have? How would you Mm. feel? And then what are other ways other than the thing that you want that you could also get that feeling? Mm. So for example, if this person is deciding between having one or two children, just for the sake of argument, Mm-hmm. And the one person wants to have two because they want a big family. They want to feel like the house is like noisy and full and right. So we're like, we're, we're creating a picture a vision and probably an energy that they're mm-hmm. seeking in their life. And the other person is saying, no, I just want one child because I want to feel like I can give all of my attention and pour it into one person and feel like we have a really strong connection, but also feel like I have time for myself as an individual. I want to feel like I can fill my own cup. And I feel really worried that if we have more children, I won't have time to do that. And then actually I won't be a good parent and I won't be able to pour into my child. So there's mm-hmm. lots of like fear happening there. Mm-hmm. So, Okay what are other ways that you can get that feeling? So for the person who only wants one child and they're wanting to make sure that they can fill their cup. Okay. So if we did have more children, other ways that I could ensure that I had that feeling would be coming up with some kind of plan with the partner to make Mm -hmm. sure that there was that built into the schedule on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. that maybe there's individual like one-on-one dates with their children every week or whatever feels good for them that like there's other ways that they can ensure that they're having their needs met and that Mm -hmm. feeling that they really want of peace or space in their calendar. And for the person that wants two, that's kind of wanting the opposite. They want the chaos. They want the energy. Okay. So if we only had one child, maybe I know that we are always going to invite our child's friends with us on family vacations. And we're always going to have like the neighborhood kids over for dinner on Friday nights. And um, I'm going to volunteer to chaperone all the field trips and like be Mm. with the energy and the kids. So there's other ways that we can find this energy. And okay, now that we've explored that there's actually multiple ways to have this need met, maybe now we're having more of 
a conversation of curiosity, presenting these Mm. different choices to each other instead of this polarizing it's one way or the other way, because there's actually multiple ways to, to get what we want or to, Mm -hmm. to feel the way we want to feel. Oh, I love that reframe. That's really powerful. Like thinking about the energy or the feeling. That's a beautiful reframe, I think, for people. And obviously, because I'm obsessed, I was thinking about how understanding each other's human design would really help in this scenario <laughs> or might ah, help. Yes. Because um, truly, like for some of us, you know, the hustle and bustle is overwhelming and Mm -hmm. the need for space and independence and rest is literally built into us. And for some some of us, like like for some people that you know, or. (laughs) (laughs) And then for others, um, you know, they thrive in that sort of humming environment. So Mm -hmm. not that it can solve all your problems, but I I was relating it back to to that going, yeah, that makes sense. I bet. I bet I could picture these two people's designs if we were talking about them. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Okay. Number four, I have been focusing heavily on my abundant mindset, but my partner views money as bad and the problem. Mm -hmm. How do I continue to focus without letting their mindset leak into mine? Because I'm finding it is. That's what they said. Yeah. This one was interesting. I feel like I need like follow-up questions from this person, Mm -hmm. but maybe you can help me out with it. But Mm -hmm. like, I'm imagining that this person, um, when they're thinking abundant mindset with money, they're thinking like, I'm going to have a mindset where I believe that money is free flowing Mm -hmm. and there's not a a scarcity, right? So they're not thinking that they need to stress and kind of hold tightly and have this tension around finances. Is that how you would read it also? That's what I assumed. Okay. Yes. And then that their partner is thinking that more of a scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. I got thrown by the word bad, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking like, okay, so they're thinking, no, 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 we need to have like a lot more intentionality and be like maybe more savings, less spending, more of like Mm -hmm. a tightness with money. Mm -hmm. I I thought that I also thought, um, more like this person, one person is trying to call more money into their life with having an abundant mindset, but that, um, the partner, like I guess has a negative way of sort of associating money mm. because they're stressed like out about it. Like we don't actually want more money in our life. Money is bad. No, I was thinking more that like money is hard. So like, I don't know mm. what, but I don't know. I, I'm not okay. sure. Yeah. So, okay. Yet. So we're re- we're reading into this. Law. Okay. So I'm yeah. going to answer this question rather generally Okay. because finances is something that couples talk mm. about a lot in therapy. Yes. Um, and it usually boils down to the same kind of things. Okay. So good. you can just, yeah, do, we'll your, just, we'll do your therapist thing here. Just like, <laughs> this is what I see. This is a pattern I see. Yeah. Um. Okay. So people come into relationships with a lot of feelings about money. Mm. Like there's just so much psychology and so much emotion in finances that I don't think, I think it's starting to get talked about more yes, now, definitely. but I don't, I don't know that everybody is as aware about how much it can impact relationships and cause a lot of conflict, Mm -hmm. especially when you're not aligned. Mm -hmm. So first of all, for this person, regardless of what your two different points of view is, 
bringing in a little bit of mantra to your relationship, which is that we are allowed to have difference of opinion and still stay connected, Mm -hmm. right? It sounds like maybe there's a little bit of polarization and tension happening around, we have to agree. Mm. And I find that when, regardless of what we're agreeing on, when that energy comes in, conflict usually escalates. Like yeah. it, it starts happening more and more and more because there's this pressure. Yeah. We have to believe the same. Mm. And the reality is, is that we don't, we don't mm-hmm. have to believe the same. What I hope for couples is that they understand each other. Mm. So some questions again, that I would have you pose to yourself and then talk to your partner about this as you can tell my favorite format (laughs) um, is what are your values about finance? Mm. (laughs) Um, And then are there any um, experiences from your childhood or your early years that would inform the values that you have about finances? Mm -hmm. Get curious with yourself about how like what's my level of savings versus debt that I need in order to have safety? Mm-hmm. Use the word safety over security because it's actually a feeling of safety that is triggering mm-hmm. a lot of conflict around finances, likely in your relationship. Um, can and you then, can you give sorry? Can you give an example of a um, value about money? A value like, about money. Like yeah. what's your value? Yeah. Can you just A value that? about money might be um, I value spending. Mm. I, va- I value having my family have the newest of whatever they want. And I value experiences. I mm. value um, going on trips. I value going to shows. So this would be more of like a spending mindset or value, whereas somebody else might have more of, um, I value future planning. I value security and um, savings. So Uh I'm going to make sure that we've got our retirement savings lined up. I'm going to make sure that we've always got a budget. We're never going into overdraft. We actually don't even have credit or mortgage. We save all of our money first and then we pay for things etc etc okay thank you Mm -hmm. um yeah so then once you've outlined what those are for yourself ask your partner to ask themselves the same questions and then share them with each other and say is there anything about me that you didn't know is there Mm -hmm. anything about my partner that I wasn't aware of and again, mm-hmm. coming together with a place of curiosity. So let's imagine that we've got one person that's got a value of spending and experiences and one person that's got a value of future saving. But now you're sharing with each other, what are my childhood experiences that are informing these values that I have? And the reason that I feel safe, making sure that I'm giving my family experiences, making sure that I'm setting my family up for the future, mm-hmm. it can kind of soften our um, approach. A, yeah. And, and mm-hmm. our assumptions and judgments about mm-hmm. our partner. And now we have a little bit more compassion and understanding for one another. And maybe we can actually, I, I hesitate to say the word compromise, but like meet in the middle a little mm-hmm. bit more or mm-hmm. find more space instead of that big polarizing area. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Ramit Sethi? Yes. 
Yeah. I like that he gets people to outline what your rich life looks like because Me too. I just listened to him on a podcast. Actually. Oh, did you? Oh, there I, you go. I, but I haven't watched the Netflix show, right? Oh, yeah. That's what, yeah. Well, and he also has a book. I have his book. Um, oh, it's called yeah, Your I, Rich I Life it. or something, or how to get, I can't remember what it is, but he has a, a very similar theory in that. You can people can say I want to be rich, I want to have money, but that everybody has a different idea of what their rich life looks like. And so talking with your partner about like if we had a certain amount of money or if you felt rich, like what would feeling rich be like for you? For me, it's getting to go on vacations. Mm -hmm. For me, it is getting to buy things that help me with health, like whether it's um certain products that sort of help me feel more healthy or like a good quality or Mm -hmm. being able to buy the membership to whatever I want. Like that's something that I value. Right. But then my husband's rich life is like boats and (laughs) like toys like that, which is fine. But it was so, it's so helpful to have that discussion because again, there is just that, like those visions that you both have that you want to make sure you're aligning Mm -hmm. with. And that's so often, we can just be on completely different pages, like not in not in any sort of malicious way, but it's just yeah. you're different humans, you know? Exactly. And yeah. I was just going to ask, how did you feel with your husband after you two had this conversation comparing what each rich life looked like? Well, we giggled a lot because they're quite different. <laughs> so, and yeah. that's okay. But um, yeah, it was helpful. I think it was helpful in just really having that out there in a concrete way mm-hmm. instead of just assuming. I mean, I could could have guessed what his rich life was for him. Mm-hmm. Um, his involved like not working, but still having a ton of money. So th- that was also interesting. <laughs> I was like, bring it back down. Let's bring it back down to reality. <laughs> but, but it sounds like, you know, you were giggling. Like, it sounds mm-hmm. to me like you felt more connected. You oh, had completely. a deeper understanding. Yeah. And that's the goal in these kinds of conversations. Like removes, alleviates some of the tension. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Thank you. Number five, um, I'd love some strategies. This isn't me. This is the part of that person talking. (laughs) I'd love strategies to navigate a partner that constantly commits to change, but never actually follows through. Mm. I have some tough love for this person. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Hit us. Hit us. Um, okay. So I think that in these situations, it can be really easy to point a finger of blame and responsibility on the person that is not respecting somebody's boundaries or not following through when they say they're going to. Mm. And I'm not in any way saying that they're in the right. However, there's actually more responsibility on the person that is um, almost allowing this lack of change to continue. Mm -hmm. So what I imagine is happening is that the the story that I would make up for this person is that they're asking their partner for change. Their partner is saying, absolutely, I'm going to do that. And then they don't change. And then the partner maybe silently feels frustrated about this, maybe brings it up in a moment of conflict, asks for the change again, the partner says, absolutely. And then they don't follow through again. And this cycle continues. Mm -hmm. So what is happening here is 
the partner that is not following through with their change is not explicitly receiving a message that it is okay to not change, Mm -hmm. that there is no consequence to their behavior continuing exactly the way it has been. Yeah. Period. It's like, it's like like with our kids. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same. So it just comes down to assuming that this person has been communicating their boundary or their need clearly and directly. That's the first assumption that it's, needing to also clearly state what the consequence would be if their partner Mm -hmm. did not follow through this next time on change. Mm -hmm. And then the third step being actually following through on that consequence, which is the hardest part. It is so hard. Yeah. So don't make empty threats. Don't like, we're not talking about ultimatums here, but just like, Hey, if this continues, uh-huh. it's going to likely do damage to our relationship uh-huh. or I'm not going to be able to do X uh-huh. any longer or uh-huh. something like these uh-huh. are going to be the natural consequences that happen uh-huh. if this uh-huh. behavior continues. And if the person says, oh, yeah, 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 of course, of course, I mean, they're testing you. Yeah. They are testing you if they don't follow through or if they don't follow through on their change again. So you have to show that you're serious about your needs. Right. By following through on what you've said. Ironic because they have to follow they're getting mad about the other person not following through but they mm-hmm. have to follow through as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see um can I just be nosy and ask, like, what's the, what is the number one thing you see people come to you for? Like, what do you feel like you spend your days being like, yeah, I heard this. Let's talk about this when people sign up for um, sessions. Well, the vast majority of the couples that I see are in the early years of parenthood. And oh. it is usually a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> It's usually number one, Mm -hmm. they say, we need to work on our communication. Mm -hmm. Number two, our sex and intimacy. Right. Gone out, gone out the window. Um, Number three, like parenting issues, feeling like we're not on the same page, resentment, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then number four is usually like this low hanging fruit of like, and also we want to have like less screen time or um, like Mm -hmm. we feel like. Yeah, I don't know. We need to exercise more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would say it's usually those three over and over and over again. And and I always think communication's funny because it's like such a broad yes thing, but it usually means people feel like they're having the same fight over and over again. Right. Yeah. They're not being heard and they're not hearing. Yeah. Okay. So for the listeners, they hear that those are issues are normal. Autumn sees these all day, every day, all day, every day. These are normal, everybody. <laughs> this is happening to you. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I've actually been having some really meaningful conversations in my um, DMS lately with a few different people who have just transitioned um, into motherhood. And this is coming off the heels of me releasing the podcast and me just talking about like having a hard time in my postpartum journey. And so much of the difficulty that comes 
in being a parent and like becoming a parent is being faced with yourself and your own expectations of yourself (laughs) and what parenthood is going to be like. Mm -hmm. And it's just something you can't know until you're in it. And it's interesting to kind of learn about ourselves and how we deal with that disappointment, that reality, that shock, whatever that is. It's a really like fruitful time almost to be able to dig into that and and understand yourself better because there's so much going on that is just brought to the surface. Yes, you've said that so well and I know it I know it was true for me with my first. It was mm-hmm. true again for my second. Yeah. Um it's true for every client I see like all my friends. It's just something it like unearths yes. these deep things that have dynamics, old patterns, et cetera, that have been just lying dormant or you've been just letting slide Mm -hmm. for a long time. And usually a lot of it has to do with our own family stuff or our partnerships and how that has translated into that relationship. Mm -hmm. And now, bam, we have this little human that's mirroring back to us, this dynamic. And there's the stakes are so high yeah, because a lot of us want to feel like we're not screwing up our children. And so it just feels like, oh my gosh, I have to do some work to figure this out. Yes. Yeah. And, and that it's kind of socially normal or I, I felt like I received the messaging that, um, you'll know what to do. Like you'll become a parent and you'll know what to do or it's natural or like, and I mean, to a certain extent that's true, but I don't think there's enough dialogue out there about how like every parent, it's their first time, including our own parents, you know, who at one point we thought they were the be all end all of Mm -hmm. understanding the world. And it's like, yeah, we just need to be more compassionate with ourselves and give ourselves more grace for sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. Well, my friend, thank you so much for joining us and sharing all of your knowledge. And I'm curious, but do you have, are you taking clients still? I am. Okay. Yes. I have a few slots open. Okay, great. Um, Yeah. So if you liked what you heard, Autumn is still taking some clients. She has some slots open and I'm going to have all the information in the show notes and probably have already said it in the intro at some point in time. Um, but I think I want to just reflect back for a second. Like I remember the first night that I met you. I don't know if you remember. Was that a house party? Well, I mean, like there's been a few house parties. (laughs) (laughs) It was when, um, like I remember meeting you, um, and you were living with our mutual friend, Hannah up Mm -hmm. in what's it called? What's it called when you live on campus in the house? Oh, um, cluster housing. Cluster, cluster. (laughs) Right. I was like, it's co-housing. It's co, what is it? No. Um, and I actually, this is so funny that you and I are podcasting years later because we just like met each other and we went deep, like we got right into it and you were basically counseling me (laughs) back then because I was going through a shit show of a time. Actually, and I'll probably do an episode. As I was that. too. Yeah. We and we we kind of had similar situations. Um actually. And so I just think it's funny how it's come full circle now. Here we are, like in the throes of motherhood. We've, you know, barely stayed in touch over the years, but like it's like, okay, let's let's do this again and let's go deep. <laughs> right away. Yeah, right away. 
<laughs> I love it. It's the only way I know how to be. <laughs> Truly, same. I'm not here for the small talk. I'll be very, very honest. Same. <laughs> Well, I love all of your content online and I love seeing what you're bringing to the world and just that there's sort of a trust there and a beautiful validation that you're giving couples and people to know that like they're normal, fighting is normal, (laughs) working through conflict is normal. And I'm really excited to see what your upcoming offering is. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I know this is so exciting for me and I'm so inspired by you just creating a podcast and putting yourself out there and I'm just here for it. So yeah, so grateful to be a part of it. Autumn texted me before. She's like, you're stealing my podcast virginity. (laughs) I was like, heck yeah, I am. So great. Hopefully you get many more invitations. I think, I hope you do. And I'm sure I'll have you on again because my audience will be like, I'd like some more free advice, please. (laughs) (laughs) So before I let you go, can you let everybody know where they can find you? And I'll have it all in the show notes. Yeah. Um, I hang out the most on Instagram and it's at the nest counseling with two L's (laughs) underscore (laughs) (laughs) or nestcounseling.ca. Perfect. Thank you. Why? Yeah. Autocorrect really like messes with us with the double L it's it's one of those like American versus Canadian things kind of like how color in Canada has a U but not in the states yeah it's the same so it's yeah okay I didn't know that (laughs) it always bothers me okay great okay well Autumn for all that you're doing and all that you are thank you for always raising the room thanks Danica Thank you so much for spending your precious time here with me today. If you'd like more, please follow along at raise.the.room on both Instagram and TikTok. Or you can go to my website, danicamarie.com. That's Danica with a C. Here you can book a human design session with me for you or your child, or you can get one of my human design parenting courses that helps you understand your child's human design type. They're designed to help you work with the child you have instead of against them. And finally, if you're still here, this would be the point where I'd ask you to rate and review the podcast, except just saying it out loud makes me want to die. So instead, I'll say, please share with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. And finally, let's always remember that with all that you have to offer, you will always raise the room. Can't wait to chat soon. Bye.